Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. Dr. Joseph Michelli joined us a couple years ago back in episode 147 to tell us how to create great customer experiences. And this is his area of expertise. That's why we have him on this podcast. And he's helped many organizations make better customer experiences. He is known by this and his many books that examine the companies that are doing it the very best. That includes Mercedes-Benz, Starbucks, Zappos, Ritz-Carlton, and others. Now, his latest book examines one of the new economy unicorns, Airbnb, and the book is titled The Airbnb Way. And remember, as you listen, if you hear something that you want to go back to or share with a colleague, you'll find the show notes. That's a written summary of all the important insights that we cover. Those show notes are at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 251. Go there, find the summary, share it with friends. That's theeverydayinnovator.com slash 251. Now, let's talk with Joseph and hear what has made Airbnb successful, and maybe more importantly to you, the tips that you can use to create great customer experiences for your products. Joseph, thanks for coming back to the Everyday Innovators. Are you kidding, Chad? It's an honor to be here. Thanks. It's great to talk again. So you have a new book out. You have studied so many great companies and their customer experiences. Ritz-Carlton was a recent work, Starbucks, Zappos, Mercedes-Benz. A little different company now. We'll talk about why that's different in a moment. But what led you to this new one? This is Airbnb. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's such an honor for you to say that it was not too long ago that I did the Ritz Carlton book, but I did that in 2008, believe it or not. So it's been just over a decade. And if you think about it, back then I was talking about the premier accommodations provider, at least you know, comparatively one of the best out there. And now at that time, Airbnb was just barely bumping along Mm -hmm. as a phenomena. And so here we are now, a decade later, Airbnb starts with three air mattresses. And within the space of that approximate decade, their valuation is $38 billion, probably the only of the unicorns that was making a profit. They're likely to to hit their IPO pretty soon. So the point I think of that is that there was a time when brick and mortar hospitality was something we would study from a customer experience perspective. Now you have to think about this hybrid phenomenon, the sharing economy that leverages technology and delivers an experience through a differentiated network of providers. Yeah, that whole industry has grown because of Airbnb, right? Before they came up, I did a little bit of VRBO, both as a customer and then renting my property as well. I live near the Air Force Academy, and there's times of the year like Air Force Academy graduation. That's a big deal, so properties are hard to find. But now so many people you talk to are Airbnb both hosts and customers, right, that stay at places. I was just going to ask you to kind of drop to the bottom line here, you know, for people that are really caring about creating products, sometimes that's a physical product, sometimes it's a service like Airbnb. What makes them successful? What do you think has worked so well for them? Yeah, well, let's, you know, let's take the example of VRBO was certainly out in the market before that. Mm -hmm. Couchsurfing.com was out in the market before that. People have been sharing homes from time immemorial. It was just hard to figure out who was sharing and how to network yourself into one of those spots. So uh, beyond Craigslist anyway. Uh, So how do you, how do you find this space? And I think what 
Airbnb does, and I think what all great innovation does is understand MarTech's law, right? So if you think about most businesses, they live in this incremental improvement model, and most companies get better over time. They Uh just do it in a very linear fashion. Uh, Some brands, however, start to pay more attention to consumer behavior, and they notice a disconnect between consumer behavior and products and services available in the marketplace, Uh and they position themselves in accord with consumer behavior. So what I would suggest is the hotel industry went for sameness over and over and over again. And the same 325 square foot room size with the same layout, that was the goal of Marriott or or Ritz-Carlton. We wanted you not to be surprised with something that was so not uh, Ritz-Carlton. I think what you see in Airbnb was an awareness that people wanted to travel in varied ways. They wanted to not just use VRBO for the purposes of vacation rentals, but they wanted to get off the grid. They wanted to get out of those high traffic hotel areas. They wanted to travel local. They wanted to use their mobile device to access all of this, much as we'd learned from other iterations like Uber. And when you put all that together, uh, it was this perfect zeitgeist. And you know, Martech's law would say if there's an exponential growth in use of mobile technology, for example, and a linear growth of just incremental improvements in the hotel industry, the space between the exponential line and the incremental line is the disruptive gap. And that's where Airbnb found itself. So a lot of that is following the customer and the customer's preferences and how that was changing over time and maybe getting a little bit bored with that. You know, on on one hand, the consistent experience is something that people like when going to a hotel. They know what to expect, but also something new and different with the Airbnb and every location is different and the like. That's why I love being on this show, Chad, because I said it in like 5,000 words and you succinctly put it in a way that was much I I don't know about that. Thanks very much for doing that. I'll I'll use that next time. You're welcome to. So I do like underscoring things that sound really important to me and following the customer is really important, right? So this one is different than other ones you've looked at. And so I I like that contrast between, I didn't realize that long ago, you did Risk Carlton. Wow. But between that industry, but also the other businesses you've looked at are not part of the shared market sort of, you know, the shared economy space where they've created a marketplace for kind of all the capitals in that marketplace, right? It's like they don't own the properties. That's part of the actual marketplace. How did that change? What did you learn from that being such a different sort of organization? Well, you know, I think I'm getting more and more in that space. So, you know, I, I try to vary by industries. I try to follow brands that I've consulted for. So, you know, Mercedes was my last book and I consulted for them for a number of years. And Mercedes was kind of a step in this direction, if you will. I was, I was really looking at how do dealers distribute the Mercedes-Benz experience. So you have the manufacturer that wants your dealer body to deliver a certain kind of experience. And so I was definitely moving in the direction of how do you influence other people to deliver your branded customer experience. Well, there is nothing like that uh, in the world of Airbnb. They, they have no employees. They have no mm-hmm. you know big contractual relationships with any supplier like a dealership. So this is out in the real wild, wild west of how do you try to get a bunch of people, some of which have never run a business in their life. Right. They don't consider themselves micro entrepreneurs, but they are fundamentally representing a brand that is marketing them on their website. And if they fail to deliver a positive experience in their 
one-room place, uh, then it reflects not only on their listing, but it also reflect, reflects on the likelihood somebody's going to use the Airbnb platform again. So, so fundamentally, I, I think for me, this is the world. This is a 21st century company. This is the way the world is going. We, we clearly understand there's more and more gig activity going on. And there are some predictions that by 2025, you know, this is the gross, the, the gross production of the gig economy is going to be outpacing all of retail sales. Huh. So it, this is definitely a place to position yourself and at least be aware of, I think. And then it, whether you are in the gig economy or not, and you're wanting to read this book, the hope is that you can understand that we all rely on other people to help us deliver our brand. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's vendors, sometimes it's employees, sometimes it's coworkers. And so the goal is figuring out how do you influence a customer experience when you can't control it? Now, at Starbucks, you fail to deliver it, they can fire you. Um, same is true at Ritz-Carlton, not the case. But they can, they can definitely make it harder to find you on Airbnb mm-hmm. uh, if your ratings fall below the service standards that they set for it. Yeah, I think that really raises the stakes. And why I wanted to talk to you about this is for product managers. We often, you know, a lot of us aren't working in that gig environment, the shared economy yet. Some of us certainly are. But this notion of it raises the stakes that you don't have direct control over that customer experience with your product. And the reality is for us as product managers, we don't have direct control anyhow. (laughs) You know, we have to do the best we can to influence those that are delivering the experience to take what we've learned about the customer and try to incorporate that. And they're doing their part too. But this is very different, right, on Airbnb. The stakes are so much higher. And you said this, I think, really well, made an important point that not only does a bad experience reflect on the host, it reflects on you wanting to use a service again. I teach an innovation course at Boston University, and Airbnb has been a case study that we used in the past. And a lot of the students talk about that. It's like, well, yeah, I tried it once, and it wasn't a good experience. So it's off the radar, right? That makes it much more important. I, I want to get into that. How, how do they do this? How do, how do they create that customer experience that is elevated with all these hosts they have no control over? Well, so I spent a lot of time in the book, you know, kind of juxtaposing chapters. So one chapter I might talk about how do they design for trust hmm. inside of the walls of Airbnb? So what are the software designers doing in the way they create the communication boxes on the platform to increase the probability that I'm going to trust the person who I'm booking my room to. So there's a whole bunch of things they do in the development of their web platform and the ease and access convenience of that design, their AI and all of that. So we can talk about that anytime you want. But when you go out and then the next chapter would be taking the same concept of designing trust, but looking at how they try to influence the way hosts behave mm-hmm. from this trustable. And I think that first you have to live it within the walls of your building. I just want to say that pretty clearly because if you try to tell other people to do something you're not doing internally, it starts to fall apart pretty quickly. Um, But assuming you're doing it within the context of your business and you're trying to influence others who represent your brand, then I think a lot of that is sharing your vision and sharing it through the lens of the customer. So the beauty of what you're talking about is if you're really close to the customer when you're designing solutions and then you're trying to get other people to deliver an experience, the more you can talk about the impact of your design based on customer input and the likely results that will come to the customer if you execute 
or if you barely execute or if you fail. So we talk a lot in the book about, and, and Airbnb does as well, is what, what would it look like to exceed expectations of trust? What does it look like when you meet expectations of trust? And what does it look like when you fail them? And what's the impact to you as a, as a micro entrepreneur? What's the impact on us um, globally and the likelihood that our platform is going to continue to generate the business for you in the future? Yeah, trust is a key aspect of this. I'm sure you came across this before your research. Chris Saka was a fairly famous uh, venture capitalist, right? He uh, guest shark on Shark Tank at times. And so Chris Saka was given the opportunity to invest in Airbnb. And he said, are you kidding? The liability is extreme. You know, someone's going to get killed in a property and that would be the end of the company. Turns out, I mean, they have had some issues for sure, but trust has been established very well for this brand. What are some, I like how that was framed, right? How do we meet? How do we exceed? And, and then what would it look like if we failed? What have they gone through to help develop that sort of trust? Well, Chris uh, was brilliant at the time and has expressed regret now yes, about yes. not investing in retrospect, but it was the right decision at the time. So, you know, it's interesting. I think we uh, overplay the amount of distrust that exists in strangers. Clearly, the media is rife with it. We've got lots, lots of social schism. There's plenty of problems out there and social trust tends to be going down in corporate America and all kinds of different settings. But we hand our credit cards over to wait staff all the time and they take it into a back room and we trust that absolute stranger. We've been trusting cab drivers forever. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, this notion that somehow or another it's all different in the shared economy is a bit interesting, uh, but it certainly is uh, something that has to be addressed. So Designing for trust. Uh, and one of the, there's a great TED talk that Joe Gebbia has out there. So I'd encourage people to hmm. check it out. Uh, and Joe has the TED talks called Design for Trust. And in it, Joe, one of the founders of Airbnb, talks a lot about things like the communication that happens in advance of a booking and that there's a goal to have a little dialogue that goes on in that space. And they've even created the right size box with the right amount of prompts. And the notion is that if I tell you too much about myself before the booking, it decreases the amount of trust, like over disclosure is not a good thing. If I don't, if I just go, yo, cool place. Uh, it doesn't really build a lot of trust that, you know, I'm going to be probably the most respectful person in your property. So they kind of prompt a couple of things, tell a little bit about where you're coming from, where you're going to uh, share anything that you noticed on their site. And then there's just about enough space for that. That amount of disclosure tends to create the beginning of a conversation that brings two people together. Um, beyond that, the Airbnb folks started by renting out their property to strangers. And I think they really got a sense of the kinds of things that cause people to be concerned. And that most of the time, most, 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 most of the time, particularly if you have a reputation system in play, most of the time people behave fairly well and you're surprised by human nature as opposed to disappointed by it. Yeah. Thankfully, overall, people are fairly well behaved and want to treat others well. That, that's a, a definitely good thing. And if you're not, you're, you know, your reputation score should go down. You should be banned from the site right. for life on it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's specific actions that are taken if you provide a poor service or worse. Right. So little things like along the way, they never used to have pictures of the properties, right? When it very first started, it was just, hey, you know, you want a place to throw an air mattress? We have a place. Yeah. And that, that was a big difference. The, they've targeted New York and they added pictures just to say, oh, that's a good dimension, kind of conveys trust. What you just shared, I think, is really important. That To me, that tells me they evolve along the way to understand you know, very specifics. Like if there's too much communication up front, that might actually distract from the experience. Want it to be not too little, but kind of just the right amount, so that they they've learned along the way of what creates this better customer experience 
for. And there's a lot of education about puffery, right? Like, mm-hmm. so most products in the market are puffed up in, in the, in the messaging. There's a lot of emphasis on saying, you know, set your ground rules, tell people what they can't do, mm-hmm. what the limitations are, your property are up front. I mean, there's enough properties and enough people. There's going to be people who want your property when you disclose it. And we, you know, in the book, we spend a lot of time talking about people who say you can't cook pork in my kitchen because, you know, I don't, I don't consume animal products. And so while you can stay in my house, you can't cook pork in my kitchen. That, that would potentially be a limitation for some people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got plenty of fascinating descriptions of property listings about the thin walls. And if you're a light sleeper, you don't want to stay here. And it really fairly fascinating stuff, you know, and I think you, the more that that happens and the more it's encouraged, uh, I think it's better for, for guests and hosts and ultimately speaks to trust building mm-hmm. instead of having to hype everything like slice bread and turn straw into gold. Right. Right, right. The uh, I wish we were all alchemists. That would be great. The ability there to get get that feedback, right? That someone has the experience is really valuable. Hey, Dad, I was just thinking about your book. What's its title? Turning Ideas into Market-Winning Products. Is that about alchemy? <laughs> okay, that's an interesting question. It's kind of, I guess. It's actually about how we find insights. that We uncover problems, come across ideas, these unmet needs that customers have that we can then turn into some product or service that creates new value for them in a way that really is different than others. That's market-winning products. So why did you recently make a second edition? Well, the first one was a few years ago, and recently AIPMM, that's the Association of International Product Marketers and Managers, contacted me about providing that original book to some of the people that are earning uh, their certification. And I said, that'd be great. Be glad to help out with that. And that was a good opportunity to update the book and bring in some new information. Okay. So where can people get your book? Well, it's on Amazon, of course. But even more importantly, they can find many of the key concepts for free in my online course. If you're selling the book, why are you giving away a free course? Because I really do want to help as many product managers as I can have this notion of what it takes to make market-winning products, to take ideas and turn them into products that customers love. Okay, I get it. Where can product managers get the free course? That's easy. You can just go to the everydayinnovator.com slash book and sign up for the free mini course. Easy to do, and you'll get these little lessons that just come into your email box. Are you sure it's not about alchemy? <laughs> <laughs> You said that the you know the founders, the team here, they, they were their own guinea pigs. Let's rent out our properties and see what that experience is like for the customers and then, then go talk to the customers. Do you, do you have more insights about that? You can share what, what they learned through that process? Yeah, you know, this it started really out of pure necessity. So uh, two of the founders, Joe, Gabby, and Brian Chesky, had an apartment in San Francisco. One of their roommates left. Uh, they had just left design school, the Rhode Island School of Design, graduated. And, and one of their roommates left the apartment. They needed to make rent. There was a design conference coming to San Francisco. They targeted a website just for people coming to the conference. $80 for air mattresses, three air mattresses in the room they were able to book the thing uh, solidly. What they thought would happen was just this kind of transactional relationship would form. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they'd make their $240 a night for the length of the conference and they'd cover their 
room and board and they would serve some, un, you know, untoasted Pop-Tarts. That was pretty <laughs> much the beginning. Um, but what they started to see was that really they were touring these people around in the community that they became lifelong friends with these folks. Hmm. Um, still a very professional relationship and a very intimate sense of traveling local in San Francisco with the guidance of these folks. So from there, I think they realized that there was more to this than just a marketplace economy that was fairly transactional. And, and, you know, because of that, they also had fears, you know, they remember, you know, Joe Gebbia talks the first time he ever put somebody in his house that he locked the door to his bedroom because he had this anxiety that the stranger would hack him to death. Uh, But, and because of that, just that sensitivity to that, I think of having done it, been there, they started to appreciate there's a lot of that anxiety that had to be present in both sides of this relationship. Yep. I'm going to let someone come in my house. Now that said, one of their biggest mistakes was probably underestimating how bad it can get to and not being positioned quickly enough to respond to that. Tell us more about that mistake. <laughs> yeah. I thought I would leave that out there and you know, you would probably not just let it go. But um, so one of the first incidences that ever happened where somebody just ransacked someone's house, mm. uh, Airbnb was flat footed when it happened, right? So they, their social media response, their PR response, their pragmatic response was fairly limited to a lot of emotional support to the host and a lot of assistance of the police department to try to help uh, interface based on the people who had booked the property. But, but there was really not much going there. So from there, they built this insurance process. So now you're protected up to a million dollars in damage that could befall your house. Uh, And I've talked to hosts around the globe, literally, and the smallest things get resolved really quickly. Because if you think about this, this marketplace, there are plenty of us who want economical uh, places and off the grid places, there are fewer people who are willing to let somebody stay in their most valued asset. Right. Right. So um, they really cater to supporting and accommodating any kind of disruptions that happen on mm-hmm. the host side. Yeah. And that's a, another great example to learn from, right? And some of this might be scenario planning for our product managers to think about what might go badly wrong in the customer experience and assuming worst case scenario, what are the things that the minimum, at least things that we should have in place to prepare for that? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think, I think they knew this could happen. They just were so busy trying. Yeah, to they're moving to fast. And- I mean, they were working more on speed load times on the website, to yeah. be honest. I think that's where they were, which was, again, superb. I mean, if you look at the, um, the Airbnb website, it's one of the fastest loading in the travel industry. And mm-hmm. it's that blink of the eye speed of load, which is what people are looking for. Yeah, yeah. Again, part of the customer experience. That insurance seems to be a no-brainer, right? And I was surprised when I joined VRBO, it wasn't until about three years later that they added an insurance option to to the, the platform that now you could have this built in and say, oh, yes, I want to either I'll pay for it myself or I'll push that cost off to the person staying with me. They just never had yeah. it. And I thought that actually made me uncomfortable for a long time. It's like, okay, I have to talk to my insurance company, find out what they're going to cover with those problems and see how this all works, right? Well, look at the economics of the thing on the Airbnb side. I mean, for about 3 to 5% of every booked transaction, you, you, it, the rest is yours. Three to 5% is Airbnb. That's really pretty much what it costs right. to process a credit card. You get all the marketing free and you get insurance. Mm-hmm. So if I am the, if I'm doing this from the letting out my house sort of perspective, it's really a good deal for me. Now there are costs that heap on to the, to the guests, right? I mean, cleaning costs and, uh, you know, a higher percentage rate off of your overall booking. So, 
but but it's really meant to be as seamless as possible to drive the supply side of the equation because without supply, right. uh, then people aren't going to come to this website. So it's really well designed now, but there were missing, there were gaps in the original design. Mm-hmm. And these are, you know, these are design students. They do everything in a scrum agile sort of project strategy. So you see a lot of listening to customers. You see lots of ideation. You see lots of prototyping and trial, lots of voice of customer to validate the trial. Okay. And then it shifts out to enterprise-wide solutions that really seem to work. And even then, they're still listening to figure out how to make uh, you know, tweaks on those, those enterprise solutions. You're speaking our language, right? It's all those things we do to understand the customer's problem more deeply. And how can we add value to their problem? Yeah. And I think, you know, if we're talking about shortcomings of Airbnb, because, mm-hmm. you know, from a design perspective, you always kind of want to learn from the train wrecks. The other one that I would say is kind of noteworthy is just the way they got their reputation system going. So mm-hmm. Amazon's probably one of the founders of reputation systems it's been around, you know, for 30 years, people have been doing something on the reputation side, but Airbnb had many biases inherent in their reputation system, right? So they protected against some bias. The The only way you could rate somebody is if you were a consumer, because there's a lot of rating systems out there uh, in the marketplace today where people sure. add their rating and who knows if they're even verified yeah. users. A- Amazon had that problem. Yeah, they have that right now. but what, And they had that right from the onset, but they, what they didn't have right was retaliatory bias. So in the old days, if I, if you were my guest, I could rate you a two because you're just a slob, Chad, even though it looks very clean in your background. But when you <laughs> stay to my Airbnb, you are just not. That's terrible. And so I give you a two. Okay. And then that you, that reveal to you, like you would get a reveal of a two star rating and then you would be encouraged to rate me as a host. So, you know, that was all messed up. And then I might not even give you a two because I knew, even though you deserved a two, that you might give me a lesser score. So they got to the kind of the mutual reveal strategy, but that was that was an evolution based on mistakes where they allowed too much retrospective time on the review. So I could take a month to review you, which God knows if I'm even remembering right. what I had for breakfast. Right. So they got a lot of that right. But those were iterative changes in the design space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And things I had to figure out for sure. One of the things I want to go back to you said earlier was about the culture, too, which was in organizations where you have more control over the resources delivering the service, that this is more clearly connected. But you made the point that even in this case, that the culture of Airbnb and I assume how they want to be how they would like to be treated as hosts and as customers is something where it kind of starts with how that leads to that experience for hosts and customers. Yeah. Tell us about well, culture. Well, I think, you know, it's probably more important in some ways because you got to, again, all these people are doing whatever they want to do in the name of their brand, mm-hmm. like my place. But if Airbnb can say to you, you know, generally speaking, hosting is like this noble social phenomena. You have joined this cultic movement of delivering something that is cherished and valued in a society and their scarcity of good hosting and caring about people and forgetting about the differences and seeing the commonalities, which are greater than the differences. Mm-hmm. You are that kind of a person. And because of that, you've joined a family of people who believe that people should travel in a way where they feel like they belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. Where we create places that no matter your color, your gender, your sexual orientation, you can belong here. And I welcome you to stay with me. So that's fundamentally at it. The, you know, the vision is to belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's the language of the 
that. They have a value to be a host. They celebrate hosting. They talk a lot about hospitality, a service with heart. It's not enough to transact service, but to make a heartfelt connection Mm -hmm. uh, with magical end-to-end travel experiences. I'm just using all the phrases. But at the end of the day, you better inspire people. Uh, you better inspire them to be doing something more than just, you know, leaving the light on for somebody, right? In the Tom Bodette uh, Motel 6 model, right? <laughs> it really is important to give shelter to people and to create this place of belonging and a place where people can, can... The reason I'm going to stay at an Airbnb potentially is so I can know a little bit more about what it's like to live in this town uh-huh. instead of just what it's like to check out another, you know, uh, Holiday Inn in this town. So... Um, you could be that person who's a conduit of human connection. And you talk to hosts who get this and really buy it. They are enriched by this. I mean, I have a 72 year old guy who says, you know, I travel the world every day and I just rent out my Airbnb because people from all the right. world come here and I am getting a world of experiences that I would not otherwise get. Yeah. Yeah. It has changed lifestyle for some people for sure. That expression of the culture. I love that you did that so quickly from memory, just from your interactions with Airbnb. And that felt really compelling to me, right? As you were just sharing that, that this is a bigger picture of something that I could be a part of, right? How I think about the world, how I think about people, how I want them to have cool experiences, just like I would like to have cool experiences. And I think conveying that, yeah, it does start with you, your organization, and there's some aspect of your product and your customer experience that should convey that clearly to why this is different, why, why you should use our service, use our product. And they do it in the same way that a, a traditional corporate sense would be. So if I deliver that in an outstanding way, mm-hmm. they'll likely do a video about me and my delivery process as, again, a model for those who want to aspire to deliver the heights of this experience. So you'll, you'll hear these ex- excellent super hosts saying you know, things like, as a result of providing this experience, you know, or, or in my mind, when I'm trying to provide this experience, I want to know... I want my guests to know that I care that they arrived, Uh you know, that somebody had a give a damn factor, if you will, about their arrival. Whereas the front desk person at Holiday Inn, if you don't show up, so be it. Whereas I'm going to stay up to make sure you got here. Or when you got sick, I'm going to go to the hospital with you and make sure Uh that at least you're taken care of and I can call your family. Lots of that kind of messaging that you'll see in the book. Yeah, some powerful stories. So I'm curious, I don't know if you've gone back and talked with any of the people that you know at Ritz-Carlton or in the traditional hospitality you know, industry. What are they thinking about this? So one of my best friends was hotelier of the world about a year ago. Uh, so we have to still talk, even though I've <laughs> gone to the dark side, right? Um, but, you know, he, I think his point is we looked the other way for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we thought this was an anomaly and it wasn't going to affect our business. Um, a colleague of mine who is involved in a major hotel in the Hollywood area, uh, Beverly Hills area, actually. Um, he said, you know, we didn't think it was going to affect us at the luxury side, but instead of renting out luxury, uh, you know, instead of coming to our luxury hotel, they're renting out bungalows here in the area and an entire corporate team is going to come and stay in the bungalow instead of renting 12 rooms in a convention center mm-hmm. um, or a conference room. So it's affecting them. And what you're starting to see, I think, is many of the hotel chains adding this on to their offerings. So yes, it's our hotel chain and we also will help you book accommodations uh, 
local in the space. So I don't think it's going to go away. The genie's out of the bottle and they're just trying to adapt now to expand their offerings and reach into the space a bit. And then Airbnb is also, I think, moving up to try to do a little more luxury hotel kinds of mm. arrangements. Too. So I think everybody's trying to fill, fulfill the entire life cycle of the customer in different needs states of the traveler. Yeah, it's created all new sectors. You know, I know people that just buy houses just to Airbnb them and buy condominium complexes to Airbnb them. And there's been some friction with that, but it has provided new opportunities and new competition for all kinds of people. So I was just with a group of builders that are specializing in ADUs, those kind of dwelling properties that are just being built next to your house. Right. So you can do an Airbnb on your property. Yeah, yeah, that's become popular in a lot of places as well. So good way to have some a little extra revenue on the side. So this is great. So really interested to get hands on book. Um, when's the actual publication date? Uh, the actual date is just uh, October the 16th, the book was released. And so, um, yeah, so we're going to make sure that your people who are on this podcast, uh, this webinar can enjoy that as well. So we'll just encourage them to go to Airbnb, I'm sorry, to 800ceoread.com slash Airbnb. I'm sure you'll do this in the, in the notes yep. and we'll give them code word thanks and they'll get a substantial down pre-shipping and, and an invitation to a webinar just about the book itself. Excellent. Good. That would be a nice treat for listeners, an easy way to get a discount on the book and learn more about this. Again, the title of the book is The Airbnb Way, Five Leadership Lessons for Ignited Growth Through Loyalty, Community, and Belonging. I want to get my hands on this as well. I always love innovation quotes. Listeners know I ask for those. Which one do you have for us? So Thomas Edison once said that he started where the last man left off. Now, for modern times, I would say where the last man or woman left off. Mm -hmm. But I start where the last man or woman left off. And for me, it's just a constant reminder that we're on the shoulders of giants, uh, that yes, even even disruptive uh, innovation is based on a mobile phone, right? I mean, you may apply it in a completely different application than it was being applied before, but none of us are doing this on our own and we're part of a legacy of innovators. Yep. It's standing on the shoulders of those that went before you, right? And, um, yeah. That's uh, how Isaac Newton, I think, who said something about standing on the shoulders of giants. There you go. And yeah, it's how we make things better, learning from those that went before us too. So great quote. You are an expert on customer experience. You research this deeply. You help a number of organizations with this issue. For people that want to find out about your work, how can they do that? They can do it at josephmichelli.com. So if you can spell my name, you can find me and you can pretty much search me on the internet fairly easily. I'm stockable easily. It's J-O-S-E-P-H, Joseph, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I.com. And that will be in the show notes for listeners as well. I appreciate your time. Good talking with you again, Joseph. Great talking to you, Jed. Thanks so much for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is your place where product leaders and managers come to make their move to be product masters learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you can create products customers love and do it better and better more and more every time. You'll find the written notes of our discussion with Joseph about all those great customer experience insights at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 251. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.